Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhage. Thanks for tuning in again to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have a colleague, Carolyn Trevino Jenkins. I said I wouldn't uh, trip up on the Trevino there. Um, and she is uh, someone that uh, is a Forbes Business Council, a tech, technology business council member. Um, and we were, we were fortunate enough, I I popped into this wrong room and actually met Carolyn at that point uh, at Forbes because I'm a part of the general uh, business council and uh, we got to know each other and she's got a fascinating story as a CEO and I invited her today to kind of share some of the things that she's been through along her path. Um, that might help uh, some of us that are uh, female entrepreneurs, but also CEOs. So Carolyn, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. So, Carolyn, now you and I started off because we I think we were talking about diversity and, um, you know, I was fascinated by your background because visibly I did not know um, about your background and you were sharing a couple of stories, I believe, that got me intrigued. Obviously, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, so I would say visibly I'm, I'm look foreign and, and that changes that kind of sometimes the trajectory in a room. But with you, um, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of your path. I know you live in Texas at present with your family, uh, kids and your dogs and your lovely husband. But tell us a little bit about your path into kind of, you know, um, business. Well, <laughs> that's a, a big question there. So, but yeah, I think you were kind of sharing with some of the the background and stories you and I talked about about the way I look. Um, I am first generation American. Um, my my dad's family is from Mexico. My dad was ten when they moved here. What I look like, my mom, who's Italian. I don't look like my dad. And you know, I sort of grew up even in my childhood where I never quite fit in. There were people. Uh, often the Hispanic community thought I wasn't Hispanic enough. And then sometimes the, the you know, white community would say harsh things if they found out I was Hispanic. Like literally in fifth grade, I had a teacher tell me I was the dumbest Mexican she'd ever met uh, to my face. So like, um, you know, so the, it, life's an adventure. And I, and I really learned early in life, I think that it's about how I can, how I respond to life. You know, I can't control it, but I can control how I respond to things. And that was really important to me. And that's really been important in my business career, because as I, um, you know, I finished my MBA many, many, many years ago um, and, and immediately wanted to go to work and then chose not to go to work full time because I had a special needs son that was born in between my first and second year. And he needed a lot from me. Um, and we had some disc discrimination in the race in, in the medical system back then uh, as well, before my last name was Jenkins uh, on the end of that. Um, and 
just sort of that lived experience, took that into the workplace. Uh, again, when I finally went to work full-time, I worked part-time and I sort of fell into the startup world and I loved it. Like I had, a, I was working in corporate America. I was doing really well. And one of my customers recruited me away to a startup in 1997 when there were not enough positions. Um, there was the Y2K scare and the internet bubble, and there were way more technology positions to, than technologists. And that's when I first jumped in the startup world. Um, and never in a million years in 1997 could I have told you I would one day be a CEO. So, <laughs> so it wasn't one of those dreams that you said, hey, one day when I grow up, I'm going to be a, a female CEO. You just never thought about it. You just kind of followed the pebbles in the road that landed you into, you know, I, I know lots of different projects um, in, with startups. Yeah, that first startup really kind of in my career became very much sort of see a need, fill a need. Um, and it's really sort of about this attitude that later, you know, if I had been smarter <laughs> or if I'd been more marketing oriented, I would have coined it better because it was more like, well, sort of like mom leadership, right? It's like really good leadership skills. But to me, it's like being a good mom. It's like, like <laughs> my kids are different. I want, I expect, I have the same expectation of the behavior, but how I motivate them is different. Mm -hmm. Well, employees are the same way. You have the same expectation, but you can't talk to them the same. They have different personalities. You don't reward them the same. They have different likes. And, you know, so you have to really treat people individually. That doesn't mean you have different expectations of them. And so I used to tell people, well, my leadership skill, it's like mom. And that same thing as a mom, you see a need, you just do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in my first executive role, it's like, well, I was over HR, but people would start and their laptops wouldn't be ready. They wouldn't be imaged. Their email wouldn't be set up. And I'd be like, I can solve this. I like, I keep fussing at IT, but I can solve it. See a need, fill a need. I'm technical enough. I had programming classes um, in my past. And so I just started imaging laptops and setting up emails on the exchange server, which eventually led to me being over our IT department. In addition to HR, it was just, <laughs> I didn't set out to be over it. And then I ended up being over facilities because I was like, well, this is frustrating and we, someone just needs to fix it. So I just said, well, someone needs to do it. Why not me? Someone needs to clean the conference room. Same thing. Why not me? Like I can pick up a dish and wipe a table. And like, that's just sort of always been my style. And so I, I didn't really say I want to be a CEO one day, but I did say, I see problems that I want to fix. And eventually that became, well, like today I lived the problems when I was in cancer that my company now solves. And so it's see a need, fill a need. So you had said um, in our last uh, interview with Forbes, you had shared a little bit about your, your, your mindset that you kind of, your father taught you some really valuable lessons. And I remember you telling a story about um, how he told you to deal with problems. And I'm just wondering if you can share that, that story that you had said that he, how he told you to think about problems. I'm not even sure if I remember which story because I have so many stories. Yeah, but it, but the basic thing was that he was saying to you that, you know, basically any anything is solvable. Anything. But I remember you sharing that whole, that you adopted that quite early. Yeah, you know, my, my dad's, you know, taught me so, so, so many lessons. My dad was such an amazing life force and such a positive man. And my dad's 
was really very big in my life about, you know, solving the little bits of the problem, but also not to get all wrapped up in what everyone else thought about me, but what did I think of myself? And that was so important. And my dad, I mean, he would say things to me like, um, you're too smart to get, like, don't get emotional. And he wasn't trying to tell me not be a caring person, right? He was just trying to make me tough. And he would say, you know, you're, um, you're, you're too something like you're, you're too attractive when I was young and little and all those things. And he's like, but so the world's not going to think you're smart as you are. So Mm -hmm. don't let people rattle you. And when, when someone says not nice things about Hispanics, how you respond to that is way more important than what they said. Like, um, there were a lot of times I would sit in a room and, and people would not under realize um, my background and they would say very nasty things about Hispanics. And I, I had to handle that. And my dad was always one to say, how you respond, you can elevate what they think, or you can respond in a way that to them is validating what they think. Mm-hmm. And that lesson stayed with me always and not just about my race, but about any, any conflict. I am in control of how I respond to that situation. I can't change the other person so much as I can change and handle myself. So I would think that, you know, from that first comment with that teacher all the way up potentially, and like you said, visibly people aren't aware and, you know, they may be making derogatory comments. So you, at that point, I would think had to make a decision like, okay, am I going to um, go where they're going, or I'm just going to have them have a different interface. And at some point I would say it's delivering the fact that somewhere along the line, they're going to trip into the fact that um, your heritage, part of your heritage is Hispanic. So they would just learn it along the way somewhere. Um, well, I will tell you that I usually try to find a very polite, nonchalant way to almost immediately bring it to their attention. Um, even, I mean, not just in business, but uh, one of my daughters, when she was in high school, uh, had a boyfriend who was at my house and said very not nice things about Mexicans. And I looked at him, I called him by name, and I said, You realize you're standing in my house? Do you not know that I am Mexican? And he sort of looked at me for a minute and he said, um, but aren't you, well, you're the exception. I'm like, no, no. Would you like to hear, hear about my family, my family in Mexico, they're, you know, and how successful they are? Would you like to hear about my grandfather? Because he volunteered to fight for this country to be a U.S. citizen. Like he volunteered. He wanted to be here so badly. He risked his life. And he was at Normandy and most of his troop died, but he made it like you want to know how proud of an American I am, but I didn't want to yell at him. And like some of my friends were like, and, and your daughter still gets to date him. You didn't like kick him out of your house. <laughs> and I was like, well, here's the thing. If I kick him out of my house, which don't get me wrong, it crossed my mind. <laughs> but if I had, he was going to go home to the very same parents who had taught him this. But if I could show him something better, something different, maybe it gives him food for thought so that he can be different. Mm-hmm. So no, I did not forbid my daughter uh, from dating him. I did not forbid him from coming into my house. And he came, they dated for many, many more months. And I think he 
had a very different perspective. Do I think I turned him around 180? No, but I bet I got him at least 90 degrees. <laughs> it reflected some kind of change. You know, you know, how can you quantify that other than to your point, you have them him interface with somebody that's really um, addressing the concern or, or what they're saying out there to give them the possibility of having a different perception potentially instead of bowling them over where maybe then they're going to go, here we go again, kind of thing. Wow. Validating maybe a stereotype that has maybe never been challenged. Now, as a young female executive, I'm sure there were roadblocks along the way. <laughs> maybe one, maybe two, I'm not sure. But uh, how did you deal with those? Like, I understand the mindset. Um, have there, were there times where you kind of just really knew you were hitting up against the glass ceiling? And, you know, were there times, things that you maybe, you look back and go, oh, geez, I did this not so well. And this is how I, what I learned from it for maybe, you know, young female executives or people in the C-suite that are listening uh, to the podcast today. Oh, gosh, I'm sure there are so many mistakes that I've made. Um, but one of the things I learned early was to practice. You know how, like, we all are taught to practice for sales, right? You all hear about, oh, if you're going to sell something and in my first, one of my first professional um, jobs, they would put us on these phone banks. It was a sales job and you would do um, practice sales calls and they would record them all. And then you would have to listen to yourself. And then they would do a video recording and you would have to watch yourself. And it was so you could learn And So, but you were practicing to sell something. But I learned to think about if things were to go wrong, what might I say? How might I behave? Um, and partly because sometimes I got caught unaware. Um, and I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like coming up with an answer on the fly. And I don't think I've ever had the exact scenario I practiced for in my head, but that practice prepares you. It's like any other emergency you might prepare for, right? You, you get all ready for the hurricane. You get all ready. What if there's a flood? You know, um, what if, well, discrimination, if it's because of your race, or your looks, or because of your gender, like it's still, it feels like an emergency when it happens. Mm -hmm. And so being prepared and having thought about those scenarios and practiced how you will respond for those scenarios was some of the most valuable things I think I ever did to be ready for those scenarios. It was like the, the first time someone came in to a boardroom and thought I was the secretary there to take notes, I, I wasn't prepared to handle that. Not that wasn't the end of the world, but it was just that like that all of a sudden being made to feel small and like they think I don't belong and, and I let them own that. And it's like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, how do I, how should I have responded to that? So in the future, how do I respond to that? Um, and I really tried you know, when you think about your like business, like if things go wrong, how do I pivot? But I also think about if conversations might not go well or, you know, how, how am I going to respond and how am I going to handle? Yeah. So like almost like a role play with yourself to potentially look at um, different interactions that you might have. And obviously if, it, you know, you're, you're tripping along, you know, doing your thing and then things are going to present and Generally, I'm going to assume you've probably flowed with a lot of them, but sometimes 
you might get into a scenario where you're like, okay, I'm dealing with this situation, like you said, with the coffee. And then you're like, okay, I can either be reactive, you know, or, and get defensive, or maybe have a conversation that allows the person to recognize, well, I'm actually not the person that gets coffee, but like you had said, you know, that person is going to probably be right in kind of thing, which again, is that I like the fact that you reframe in such a way to say, okay, well, obviously this person is limited in their perspective. Um, I'm going to try to kind of have them see something different. Yeah. Like in that instance, I, that first time I wasn't real prepared, but in the future it happened more than once, you know, when someone's like, oh, you know, and you even sometimes get the honey, you know, especially in the South honey, could you go get me some coffee? And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I don't drink coffee, but I'm sure when the executive assistant gets here, she'd be happy to get some for you, you know, right. <laughs> or, you know, I'm, I'm happy to show you where the room is. It kind of depends, right? Is the coffee like right down the hall? Then I'm happy to show you where it is. You can go get your own coffee, you know, so that they're like, oh, but, but not in a mean way, not where it's like, because otherwise I've put them on the defensive. So they're going to put a wall up between us. And I don't want there to be a wall that just makes it now I've got a wall and a ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of climbing over to do. Like really no. trying to keep in mind what your long-term objective is. Is my objective to alienate this person? No. Is my objective to demonstrate to this person that we're equals not because of our sex, but because of our intellect and our role in the business, that's my objective, which means I need them to be open to receiving that information from me. That's a, that's a really, really, so that long-term view versus kind of getting into it with that person based on you know, maybe less than ideal behavior. Now, I'm curious, right? Like you said, so you go on, you're a senior executive and you're like, you're, you're like, you're saying you're in HR and then you get into it and then you're in, you know, a facility, all that stuff, just based on you just taking on new, new um, things that needed to get done. At the point you became a CEO, I'm curious about that, right? Because obviously I think there's different, you, that strategic level that you go from to get to a CEO level, were there any kind of fears in your mind at that point and and if there were any um how did how did you deal with it oh so many and for me what happened you know i had done multiple startups where i was one of the co-founders so i i hired everybody even once i quit wearing the hr hat and i was running a pnl i was still always the hr expert and i was still always involved in the hiring process as one of the co-founders so I, I had teams that I had chosen and if they were good or bad, I was part of the reason that we had that team and, and there to deal with it. When I was hired by a different company to become their CEO, it's like, wow, like I'm the new person on the block. And so all of a sudden it was like, I need to find the right balance of authority, but not shut down listening to other people. You know, and it, so it was sort of intimidating, like they all know each other. They've all known each other longer than they've known me. And I had from since 1997, it had always been the opposite. I was like, had been there all along. And so it was very different feeling saying, how do I come in here? And I, I'm not saying that we're trying to be like best friends, but definitely friendly. I believe in friendship and respect and, and those things in the workplace. 
but I need that. But as a CEO and a first-time CEO, I also need to not give up too much of my authority. And I needed that balance. And right out of the gate in my, my first time as a CEO, there was an internal candidate for CEO that had been passed over to bring me into the role. And that became my biggest challenge, if you will, because I'm, um, I was determined to win this person over. Like they didn't get the job. It wasn't my decision. They didn't get the job, but obviously I got the job instead of that person. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get this person on board. He's still here. He's my head of sales and I'm going to get him on board. I never did get him on board. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, he ended up resigning and it was probably a good thing. Um, and I think I let it drag on longer than it should have. And it was a good thing. He like took himself uh, out of the equation. I just could not win him over. Um, but when he was gone, he was causing, and, and I don't think on purpose, I mean, he's a good guy. Like if I saw him today on the street, I would say hi to him and we'd shake hands and catch up and, and whatnot. But I think just that, that, frustration for him that he didn't get the job was just too hard to overcome and so that getting that negativity that negativity out of the office was really helpful so we were an in-person company back then so okay it was really so that, that that bandy between um I have to create a presence as the CEO I want to be connected but I need to be able to show um authoritativeness like were there things that you really had to work on for that subset of skills or did you find that it, it because you've been in lots of different positions with startups that that came uh, easily to you um the connectivity it was interesting and, and when I say it's like there were certain people in the company that we instantly had kinship and connectivity um, there were a couple of people, managers in the company that I'll tell you, I, I think I had their respect, but never maybe connectivity from them. Now we were a strategy execution software company. So as far as like the accountability, that was easy. Everyone had their objectives. They were all used to that. Like holding people accountable for performance was easy. Trying to have a company, um, team building event was harder than any place I'd ever been in my life. I'm like, it was so fascinating to me. Um, like once a quarter, we would go volunteer at the food bank, but we had some employees who were like, I'm not doing that. Like, I, they, and they wouldn't do it. Uh, we had, we did one quarter, we went to um, one of those puzzle rooms, you know, where you have to get the, you know, and we went to eat and we went to a puzzle room and there were employees who like leaned against the wall with their arms crossed and they're like, I'm not playing this stupid game, you know? And it was like, wow, I have like never seen this kind of attitude at any of my other companies where someone's like, I, I won't even try. Um, oh, and I'll tell you, there were a couple of them that I never went over, but they did their job as employees. Um, they met their objectives. You wouldn't say that they were bad performers, but from a culture company culture standpoint, like we just never connected, never. Mm. And it felt like they never blended in. It wasn't just me. They never blended in to the company culture as a whole. And so mm. it was hard for me. It was a struggle for me to say, 
are they the right employee then? Like, but they're doing their job. They're like doing a good job at their job. They're hitting their objectives. They're not a bad employee, but they certainly didn't elevate the culture. Um, they weren't maybe what you would call a culture ad. They were maybe a culture detractor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was hard. That was really hard because I was used to being, you know, um, well-liked, well-respected. Um, no, but again, there were people I hired, which is different, I guess, you know. So. Right, because you're growing, you're growing the culture from the ground up if it's a startup versus, like you said, when you're inheriting uh, the context of what with prior leadership. And, you know, I often say, what is the context of what's happened within the culture, the business units changes, there's so many variables. Um, and then, you know, you know, I talk about return on relationship, but ultimately, if you're connected, and you're doing all the things that are key to, to get people, um, you know, to function optimally, not everybody's going to want to be as cohesive. Some, some people are like, you know, just leave me in my kind of my back office, I'm going to get stuff stuff done. And I'm not the type that likes to potentially play games, you know, or do puzzles, but I'm pretty good on my own kind of thing. So it, it really depends. And it's oftentimes an individual thing as well. Yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, prior to me, the previous CEO didn't have company events. And I came out of a culture where we always had a quarterly, I mean, they had company meetings, but they didn't do like fun team building activities. And of course, you can imagine my HR background. And then I was vice president of customer success. I was doing team things for my customers. And um, it's just got a core of my nature. And we always had these things at our companies in the past. And they were always a huge hit. <laughs> and I, like, I even would add, I was, I like surveyed the employees. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And those few people were like, nothing. Like, we've never had to do this before. And we don't want to do it. And you're sitting there going, well, when they were hired, they didn't, they were not, their expectations were not set that they needed to do this. Mm -hmm. and so then how do I come in and penalize them for not wanting to do it, but it always felt awkward. Um, so, and I would like to think had I'd been there longer, I would have turned it around, but I'll never know because I was, you know, um, I got cancer while I was at that company. And so I didn't have the tenure there as CEO that I would have expected to have. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.